What are you doing out in the snow? It's 32 degrees below zero Celsius. And my dad is working hard, looking beyond the extents of hypothermia, hypochondria, and all the elements combined, he works to build a fence. A true servant, a true worker, a true exhibit of hard work and ethics. This is my father in whom I am well pleased. Hey, it's me again. Does your job still suck? Are you still mad at your job and therefore life sucking? Then you should join the Bitcoin podcast Slack, where the people there don't suck, or at least their jobs don't. So, in essence, their lives don't either. Join the Slack. Now entering the Bitcoin podcast network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin Podcast. Insane. And the Adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey guys, welcome to 167 Bitcoin Podcast. I'm your first host, Marcello. I'm host number two, D. Host number three, coming at you, Corey. Yeah, today on the show is... Uh, Andrea, so like it doesn't matter what we talk about, we're gonna get a lot of downloads. Is that how it uh, works? I'm pretty sure that's how it works. I think that's how it works. I'm Andreas curious. Is... Yeah, I'm curious to see if, if it, the, like the times have changed. 
I'm not sure if Andreas has the market share that he used to. And he's don't get me wrong, he's still giving really good solid advice, helping a lot of people understand what's going on and doing a lot of really good for this. But just when I when, I, when we got into this, like he was the only one you really could listen to. And that's not the case anymore. I think we're just OGs. I think we've just been in this a while. We've seen enough Andreas talks and we've heard enough of his analogies that we fully understand the future that he describes and the things that he outlines as far as the way this space is going to develop or or could develop. Um, But I honestly think that every time I share an Andreas video with someone, they it's like they have an epiphany. They're like, I get it now. We need peer-to-peer digital currency. And I'm like, yeah, right? That's You get it, right? So I think it's just because we're new. I mean, just because we're like, we've been in this a while and we've heard enough Andreas that um, maybe it doesn't influence, influence us as much, but the guy's still got it. How many And how many jobs are there out there where you can visit 47 countries? Not too many. Not many at all. Corey's dogs have seen a squirrel. All right, Corey's dogs are brought to you by Pally. Mm-hmm. Pally.co. You might remember them. They were on the show a while back, and we like them a lot. I like Pally. They're a decentralized social travel ecosystem comprised by Pally Social, which is a mobile app on your phone. And it's been live since April. And then you have Pally Adventures, which is a community marketplace where visitors can immerse themselves in new cities through unique experiences curated by local hosts. So we ran a press release where there were some concerns about abuse and violent behavior. So put your mind at ease. They have a no-tolerance policy for any of that. So the team is busy preparing for the upcoming crowd sale. Actually, the crowd sale is going on. Um, And you can go find out more information at pally.co. Boom. Ba-doom. Ba-doom. All right. Um, shall what's I take the first the, talking point? Yeah, yeah, what's on the docket, man? Uh, so I so there's a dude in our Slack that has made me sign a, a non-disclosure to kind of consult on some uh, screens for a for a wallet, and I got kind of motivated to kind of track down and find a portfolio creation competition. Uh, so at DevCon 3, we were seeing a lot of bad presentations and UIs from like an aesthetic standpoint. Me and Corey were talking about. Uh, so I was really motivated to use my own design skills to kind of improve this industry uh, or this category of crypto. Just because there's a lot of just bad portfolios and wallets out there. So I found this company called, uh, I think, you know, Toddle. And it's a nice site. So I kind of got sucked in. And then I see, you know, instead of them creating within, they outsource to the community itself. And I kind of like that. It's kind of the spirit of this podcast. Um, so, I, you know, I like Blockfolio. D, I think you use something else, right? Yeah, I use a thing called CoinTicker. I've been using it since 2012-ish. Yeah, since we got started. So 2013-ish. Yeah, so you it's, would think uh, like... Uh, you know, diversified crypto investing, just make it simple. You know, how hard can that be? But 
I don't know. It's like it's this it's this big mountain to climb. So I threw my hat in the ring, and then on the other side of that, you can win ten grand. And there's like a leaderboard where you can kind of track and see who's on it. And what is this? And, where do, you know, where do I go for this? You mean you mean you threw your hat in the ring of a competition? Yeah. Where so is it's this? Uh, it's it's a company called Toddle, and it's t o t l e dot com. And if I win, of course, I'm going to throw the money back into the podcast. But it's free entry. All you have to do is just draft, you know, some designs, your your crypto portfolio, um, and then, you know, since it's since it's such a, a niche space, like they did round one, and there was only like 450 people who entered, so your odds are just really good. So is that, I, you is know, that I, good? I feel like that's kind of like that's that's a lot of people. I mean, granted, I'm not a designer, and if I tried, I'd be going up against designers, so I'd assume that I would lose. Or maybe well, I'm it's wrong. It's a free entry, so if, if anybody can apply, you've got to assume that not all of the entries would be strong. And if they're giving away weekly prizes, they're giving away like $500 in Ethereum, I think you have a good chance. And then if like second place is like 250 in Ethereum. What, what skills do I need in order to enter this tournament? Like what do I what do, what do I need to enter? Can I just draw a bunch of like wireframes on a piece of paper and take a picture and send it in? Do I need to like use special software? I would say if you have an idea that that you think is good, you could work in tandem with like a designer. They could just do like a surface level design and then you could submit it. And the cool thing is is like they're not judging you. There's a the the community will will kind of rate you on this leaderboard and that's kind of so, how you yeah. get some right. of these already look like winners like i'm just scrolling down at how it works and some of these portfolio like interfaces are like yeah that's perfect they already won you're talking about like the, <laughs> the, the, the front page <laughs> yeah like if you click on how it works tab up top and scroll down and I'm just looking at some of them and I'm like, oh, well, there's there's already clearly a winner. Like, look at step six, the one where you put your your asset, you list them out and then you use a slide bar to, to affect the percentages. Like, that's perfect. That's that's the winner. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we never really <laughs> thought about this, but how would you guys feel about bringing in new people in the space, educating them through portfolio creation? Nobody ever really thinks about that. Can you lay that out? Like expand on that. I don't. I don't know what you mean. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. just say you're getting into the space and you you go to like Kraken's interface and you're like, oh man, or like my Ether wallet. My Ether wallet's amazing, but I mean, you might get. I mean, I've been in the space for four years, and Corey, I was asking you how to withdraw my my funds to my Ether wallet yesterday. It's just it's not that intuitive. But if people get into like a really good user interface that's easy to use. Even even like your mom and your grandma could get into it. I don't need my grandma on this. We had this conversation <laughs> with Ariana about like how this may end up being a thing in terms of because like I, I I still feel like there's a there's a certain amount of social change that's required to properly interact with cryptocurrencies because they're they're just fundamentally different. And mm-hmm. and the interface like how no matter how good your your user interface or user experience is on the app you you can't get away from some things like being responsible for your private keys but it should still be relatively intuitive on how you do that 
from the user experience and user interface. You should be able to walk through you on like, okay, I can't get to the next step until this happens because of this. And I'm not mm-hmm. terribly sure that a lot of the things around convey that message well. And so like things like this, yeah, like I, I like the pursuit of discovery through like UI design or whatever. Like, you know, like this is, this is really, really important for adoption. So y'all doing this is, is awesome. I want, I'm curious, like, can I see your wireframes? Can you show people your wireframes? Yeah. So I was able to get in for round two a little bit early. And uh, I think the people can, the general public can get in uh, December 5th through the 11th. And then the competition, I can't share until the competition, which is actually the 12th through the 18th. And then you can't make any changes to your portfolios. All right, y'all. Why don't y'all uh, get in there, beat Marcello, and then rub it in our face. Let's put it that way. If you beat Marcello, you can come on the show and rub it in his face. Yeah, whoever wins face. this, I want them to. Come, I would like them to come on and um, kind of walk us through it. You know, can you can you hold the assets in your wallet? You can claim new coins at your discretion. Was when you created it was diversification your your key point. I, w- I want to know like people's mindset as they're designing this. So uh, this is a good experiment, and if people listen to us and do what we ask them to do, <laughs> let's tweet it. Let's Twitter it. Put it on. Put it on the line. I'll tell you yeah. this right now. It's it's guaranteed. I'm going to work with the people at at Total.com to get the winner to come on our show. How's that? Okay. There we go. We'll make it happen like that, Kevin. But it's interesting that we bring this about because good design is one way to usher people in to new technology. Like we've had so many instances of that that it's almost hard to count. Like Google is a great instance of a great, the most minimalistic great design on the planet. Type some stuff in this bar and search for stuff. Boom. That's that's all it takes. And instantly the public was granted access to search engines and knew what they were all about. And then even before that, AOL made it so stupid easy to connect to the internet and made it so fun looking. I remember all the colors, so many colors. I was like, this is the internet is such a fun place to be whenever I log into AOL. And then there's that gentleman who greets me every time. And if I'm cool enough, I get a you've got mail sound. Like this is the best. And so this is a great idea. Like what, what what kind of user experiences can be generated that give people that, that make crypto a little less scary. I would argue that more. I'd argue that Coinbase is that like it's, it is the, like you gotta like what is currently yes in the space. No. Uh, hold on. What, what is currently in the space where people think that it's Bitcoin or think that it's cryptocurrency? Because like most people, if you take the AOL analogy, thought AOL was the internet. Never, they didn't understand its role as an access, an interface to the internet. So, what is currently mm-hmm. in the space where people are like, oh yeah, uh, I use I use Bitcoin. I have a Coinbase account, and they just think that Bit- uh, Coinbase is Bitcoin or Coinbase is cryptocurrency mm-hmm. or whatever else in the space. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think uh, Coinbase is winning that right now, but I think they're getting competition quickly. Um, but I think the Coinbase is definitely winning that. What I would appreciate from Coinbase is a monthly check on how often I'm their damn tech support. That's what 
that's what I would appreciate. Like <laughs> the little emails that you send out Coinbase aren't helping my life because then I get a bunch of a thousand questions as to why did Coinbase send me this email? And then my next question is, hey, Coinbase, why did you send that email if it just left somebody more confused than they were before they read the email? <laughs> and they're coming to me now for clarity. I feel like you um, need to fire everyone in your tech support department. And if you're listening to this and you work for Coinbase, you work for tech support, you deserve to be fired. Just letting you know this. Um, <laughs> it's garbage. Okay. Like this, I'm not your tech support. And if I'm going to continue to be this, then I'm going to continue to call you out throughout history. Um, yeah, you're making Bitcoin easy, but you're making everyone's life terrible because you're not, there's, there's some connection that you're not making with your users. Um, that's forcing them to just swim in a sea of, I don't know what the fuck is going on. And then their lifelines are people like me and it's annoying. So but anyways, mm. I think you're right, Corey, that people are starting to associate Bitcoin with Coinbase. So from a, from a marketing standpoint, you remember you said that you logged into AOL and you just saw a bunch of colors. Mm-hmm. All tech companies now, they're either blue or red. You're Dell, you're blue. IBM, blue. If you're Oracle, you're red. Coinbase, Why is you're that? blue. Facebook, it's blue. just the way it is. Yahoo is the only one that's purple. For some reason, there's not, no, we're going to be different. But nowadays, you're either red or you're blue. Well, what's that doing to my brain? Well, I mean, people don't pay attention to that unless you're a marketer. But every big, oh. like, fintech company, their logo or their colors or their brand guidelines, it's either blue or it's red. AOL was, like, gold and, like, hot blue or whatever. Like, we we've gotten away from that. Hot blue. That's a color. Put it in your cram box. (laughs) (laughs) Put it in your cram box. Crayon or crayon? Crayon. Crayon. Definitely crayon. All right, D. Hey, when are we going to realize that people don't give a shit about private keys? Um, Nice segue, by the way. Uh, That's that's a question (laughs) that I I posed earlier this week um, when I have daily arguments with my now project manager. Uh, not arguments, but debates as to why Bitcoin is really, really relevant. And he's just a highly skeptical guy. Um, but he posed, uh, he's my current boss on my new pro. Okay. Uh, who's probably listening right now. So shout out to my current boss. Give me um, a raise. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, I don't think he controls that, but anyways, uh, so his question was like, who really gives a damn about about controlling their own private keys? And this is something that we've talked about in the past, I think. But moving forward, you know, especially like it seems like mass adoption is is within a year or two away. Like I can I can at least see the juicy steak. Uh, will people even care about their private keys? Like now they don't. They literally don't right now. Anyone who has a Chase bank account, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, any bank account, the bank has their private keys. They don't care now. So why would they care just because they're using crypto? Maybe it's because it maybe it's because we're calling them something different. Like the fact that we're using the terminology for the technology makes people not care because it's just a password. Let's let's exchange the word password. Why should people care about their password? Because it, it grants them access to their money. Why should people care about their, their house keys? Because it grants them the ability 
to use their car, which is freedom and independence. All right, but so so if we use that same terminology, there's there's instances where you're okay with other people having your keys. You 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 intuit you intuitively understand who should have access to your keys based on what those keys are unlocking. Mm, that's very true. Like I yeah. would give a family member my car keys, but a stranger I would not. If it, if I told you that there is a 0% chance of your house getting broken into, zero. if I could guarantee that, would you still take your key and lock your front door? I probably would, yes. Most people yes, probably you know, wouldn't make it a priority to lock their door. People only lock their door up because they're afraid that someone might break in or take something. So I think a lot of people don't think that Oh, if I leave my possessions with the bank, nobody's going to walk in through my front door. I'm not going to get hacked, or there's not going to be a breach. All right. Well, how about like it, when you when you bring money into it and value, it becomes a different story. What what keys, what what money do these particular keys unlock? If it's a big old bank safe with all your life savings, you're going to be damn sure you're going to think about who has access to those keys, and you're going to mm-hmm. treat those keys differently than the ones you're just like you're. The ones that, you know, unlock your, your, your bike lock that you're never really using. And maybe like once a month. It's, it depends on what the keys, what value the keys are unlocking and how you should treat them. And that's why you have different wallets. These different wallets allow you to access your keys, your, your keys for unlocking things in different ways, in different convenience levels, in different security levels. And that's why we say, like, you know, which wallet is best? Well, it depends on what how much money you're putting into it and how often you plan on accessing it. It's like, yeah, it's I'm the glad same you brought thing. that up, Corey, because someone came in our Slack asking, like, which wallet? And then you were like, well, it really depends how much money you have. And, what, and like, that is like, I mean, that's correct, but that's the wrong way to like on ramp someone new in the space. Cause then, you're answering their question with like three more questions and they're just like, oh man. Well, that's the way I work. That's the way I work. What did you do? I just want something simple to store my coins on. I didn't know you were going to hit me with what I'm going to like, all these motives. So he disappeared. Maybe he did (laughs) some research. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not a friendly (laughs) on-ramper. Before you get a wallet, I'm going to need to know your five-year plan. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and map that out for me? Well, that's, I don't know. My, my, my position here is that um, you should know what you're getting into. I mean, I guess some, there is some level of goodness if people stumble into this and make a few mistakes and, along the way and learn a bunch of things and then like, through those mistakes become a part of the community. I don't. I would rather that not happen. I would rather someone fully understand what they're getting into, and if they're not willing to answer those fundamental questions, then they shouldn't be here. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. Um, well, there's a lot of rightness there because it's a new space, and we're technically early adopters, so it's like we can be kind of clickish about who belongs and who doesn't. But at the same time, that's 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 just the, the the question that my boss had. It's like, and then other people joined in. I'm by the way, I'm like the youngest person on this project, and everyone there is a project manager. Like they're already, they've got that status, and um, and so um, they're all asking me great questions, and they're like, well, why would anyone even care to 
private key. And I think maybe you're right, Corey. Maybe instead of us calling it a private key, we just call it a master pass or something like a password. It's, master, it's literally a password. password. It is literally a password, but we it needs to have a subtle differentiator because right now people think password and they're instantly like, oh, this is something I could forget and recover later. And it doesn't work like that with Bitcoin. Well, then call it a key. <laughs> And call call it an actual key instead of a private key. I mean, it, it, it should be intuitive what how you should treat the key because it's a private key. You don't share those things. That name should be intuitive, but apparently it's not. So we need to come up with some other way of call, some other thing of calling it. What if we just called it a master key? Like that's your master key to your money, and sounds, only it should only belong to you. It sounds. I think wallets. Wallets is what screws people up, right? Yeah, because it's not a wallet. You're not just sticking cash in it. Like it's it's, it's a keychain. Like you said, it's a collection of keys. You know, it's a key, it's a, key a master chain. key. You can. I don't know. But people it's, don't associate keychains with money. Well, if it's talking about like, like the blockchain is the vault. It's this multi-accessing mm-hmm. vault. Giant vault. It's one giant vault that has little little compartments, or like think about it as. Like a, a big, a big giant safety, like safety deposit box vault that has just millions of safety deposit boxes. And your yep. wallet gives you access to your safety deposit box on the blockchain. And you can then, but what you can do is you can send money from your safety deposit box to someone else's safety deposit box without anyone caring or, or like agreeing that you can do that. But you need your key to do that. If someone has your key, they can take your money and put it in their safety deposit box. You can't do shit about it. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there's a better analogy we can start using to help people get like to into it a little bit better about the importance of what the key is and how they should think about protecting it. Yeah, we really do because there's a there's a swath of adults, uh, and this is a true story. I all right, here's a true story about my personal life. I got a little bit, like for the first time I was in Bitcoin, got a little bit freaked out last weekend about what was going on with between Bcash and Bitcoin. So I was like, you know what? Let me be responsible here. Let me call my family. Let me make sure that they understand what's going on in case they want to secure themselves. And, um, you know, so I called my brother and I'm like, hey, just watch things a little bit closely. And you're going to, if, if things get weird, just switch over to Ether real quick to kind of inoculate you from this weirdness. And he like he got a little bit jolted, but I kept pa- I didn't panic for him. I was just like, hey, just move it over to Ether so you can understand. He ended up lucking out by accident because he forgot all of the credentials to get into his Coinbase account. All of them. The pins, the like two-factor authentication he didn't verify. Jesus. Forgot his password. Like forgot all that shit. And I was like, what are you doing with your life? I told you this yeah. was important. And he was like, man, I don't, I don't fuck around with that shit. Like anytime I ever need a password, I just fucking recover it anyway. So it's not really a big deal. And I was like, how are you living your life like this? And like, and then I was like, very smart person. Holy shit. How many other people are living their lives like this where they just don't give a damn about any of their, their web credentials? And he's last pass, man. Yeah, he was just like, I can't get into my account. And I was like, what do you mean you can't get in? I don't know the password. And I was like, 
that I'd be embarrassed to say that out loud. Like, I don't understand. And, like, it was just a fiasco. And it ended up a 10-minute process of switching over to Ether real quick just to inoculate you for some price uncertainty. Ended up being a two-hour process in which he still couldn't get into stuff. And I just said, you know what? Just keep all the Bitcoin in there and ride it out. And luckily, we all know how that turned out now, a week after the fact. But I was like, this is if the average user is this, then we still have a steep mountain to climb. So Well, in in you guys' opinion, is it is it fine to rely on the on the randomness of hardware wallets, or should you generate a seed yourself first? It's fine to rely on the randomness of hardware wallets. No, it's like a yeah, it's ledger. It's, like, it, or does it depend on the hardware wallet itself? I don't know no, enough they're, about they're all the hardware all wallets to like say that. I would imagine. I've I've watched demos on almost all of them. They're they're very similar and they're very um they're very Loctite hardware wallets. Next to generating your own cold wall cold wallet and going through that NSA process, um, you're fine with a hardware wallet. Well, Treasure has a it ships with a separate processor and it it like mixes that entropy with some from your computer when it generates seeds and they're banking that that's solid but it it also has the drawback of being excuse me like opaque to the user and i don't know if people know that if there was like some way to add your own high quality manual entropy into that pool that removes one place where you have to trust someone else talking about like the the equivalent of like when you generate wallets from a website, like a JavaScript uh, client on a web browser, you can you can move your mouse around to gather entropy. Mm-hmm. Because that's not yeah. like no one's ever going to be able to reproduce that. I mean, there's there's other sources of randomness you can you can build from a hardware standpoint that are even well, better than that. It's well, just we're educating the public, Corey. Why don't you let everyone who's listening that doesn't know what is entropy? What is entropy? That's a deep question, I know, but let's try and keep Jesus. it under 10 words, please. Let's let's try and keep it under 10 words. Entropy is the amount of information that you do not know about a system. That's the way I I had it when I used it. Perfect. So when That's I, actually when I'm, a great. Sorry. Go ahead, Joe. When, when I'm designing this wallet, my I'm thinking, like, what's my dream wallet? And what my dream wallet would offer is an easy way to input your own dice rolls directly through the wallet's interface to add to its entropy sources. And I don't think any of those exist. So that's kind of what I'm doing. Yeah. So you're making it a way so that there is no entropy and you create the entropy yourself. You no, don't create the entropy. Let's yourself. let's let's let's, let's the baseline here. Okay. If there's a system with a certain amount of possible states, so like you think about a dice or like a set of dice, uh, like six dice, right? There's you, you, you can think about all the possibilities of what those dice rolls are. Now, a system of low entropy for this particular scenario we're talking about is if you know all of the face values of the dice after you've rolled them, you can see like one, two, three, four, five, six, right? That means you know everything about the system, the state of the system. Now, if you cover those dice and shake them up and roll them, you know nothing about what the what what they rolled on. So that's a very high entropy state. 
So if you entropy is the amount of information that you do not know about the system. So like if you don't know anything about the state of the system, then it's a high entropy. It can be in all, all kinds of different possibilities that you don't know. And the more information that you get about the system, the more face, the more dies that you that you know the the, the result of, the the more you constrain the possibilities of everything else in the system, right? So think about that. So you take one die out, you know what that one is. So now you only don't know what the other four are, which is a smaller amount of possibilities. So there's mm-hmm. lower entropy. Take another dice out. You know, you now know two of the dice. You now don't know what three of the dice are in the system. That's a smaller amount of possibilities. That's a sm- that's a lower entropy, right? So if you think about that, like when we're talking about the entropy of hashing algorithms in Bitcoin, there is a unfathomable amount of dice and possibilities. Mm-hmm. So if you try to pick a point, like if you make a random roll and you say, this is my hash, that's that's more random than you picking a single atom in the entire universe and calling that one yours. Mm-hmm. It's more random than that. When people worry about randomness, that's the, like, that's the, it's, it's fat, unfathomably more random than that. You have to kind of put yeah. it into perspective of the level of randomness we're talking about, the entropy. So, and that's but, why we believe in crypto. So here's the problem. Here's the problem that people don't get where like the vulnerabilities lie is that when we create, when we, that the process of picking the atom, if we stick with the universe analogy, the process of picking the atom gets seeded from something. So we pick, we have some ways of picking a number that then deterministically does some math that then picks an atom in the universe. That process is what can be hacked. We can figure out how you're starting to pick the atom. We can figure out the atom you pick. Which means if you know how people are generating randomness from the very beginning, you can go through the same process because computers can't really do randomness. They do what's called pseudo randomness. Mm -hmm. And so if we can, if we can all start from the same position, we get to the same result. We get to the same atom picking and say, I got your private key. So that's why what you're talking about now is making a better starting position that can't be reproduced by somebody else, which comes from humans. Mm-hmm. It has to come from humans, really. Yeah, if you if you only use dice as your entropy source, then the like you said, the odds of a human screwing it up are probably greater than the odds of your computer having a broken entropy source. Yeah. Anything to add, D? No, I'm just thinking. I I hope my boss is listening because we took his question and we went very, very far in left field. But now I hope that people have a better understanding of why it's so important that you keep your credentials in your heart because you should love them. Yep. <laughs> I'm dead serious, man. That I will never ever I think I etched the password to um what am I talking about here? I actually remembered my twelve word seed for my Jack's wallet. Like that's etched into my my mind. 
Is it is not it, anywhere are else? Are you going to be like Morpheus, where like Agent Smith is like, "Give me your and twelve phrase seed," yeah. and you're like handcuffed, and I save you in a helicopter. That, um, yeah, I can see that happening. Definitely, <laughs> I can definitely see a situation where I'm kidnapped by a corporation, and you have to come rescue me with a minigun and miraculously don't shoot me. Yeah. So. <laughs> But I guess he is Neo, uh, what happens if so. you get like a like you like you fall and bump your head and forget that shit? Yeah, I've backed it up other places, Corey. But I'm just saying, like I, I, I know it by heart, just in case. Cool. I don't know. Let's uh, but let's move on Andreas to the interview here. Yeah. Time. yeah, it's time for Andreas, guy with the greatest hairline and big one. Um, yeah. So Andreas stopped by for a third time. I think he likes us. Um, hat trick. Yeah, it's a hat trick, and he didn't. He didn't even have anything to promote. He just stopped by. Like that's that makes me feel good. That makes me feel like he doesn't promote things. He, he just he talks to people. That's what he does. He's got things that he does that he's need a, promoting. He's the Sherpa of Bitcoin and crypto. Yeah, that's very true. He's that's gone up he's, the mountain, and he's, that's why he's coming. Respected. Yeah. I like people with Andreas's natural affinity to want to bring other people down the path that he's gone. Like some people don't like if some people are go down a successful path, they're like, cool, I made it. All you guys can fuck off. I'm at the top of the mountain. The view is excellent. But some people know before they even make it to the top of the mountain, I'm only using that as an analogy that it's going to get lonely up there by myself if I'm just up there on the top looking out so let me go back down and let me grab some people and show them how to get up here like i did and i think he's one of those people that noticed that and he travels the world educating people on crypto which is not a bad job so do you guys got anything else to add introduction wise don't think so he's a pacifist he's a pacifist oh i disagree with him there then we should have talked about that no, Anyways, he's, he's also the uh, I, I think I plugged some of the stuff, but mastering Bitcoin, mastering Ethereum is coming soon. No, it's not. And no, it's not. He's well, I know it got delayed, but yeah. soon it'll soon-ish. come eventually. It'll come. Yeah. It's there. And the Internet of Money. So that one's excellent. Love that. Yep. Um, well, here it is. All right. Uh, Andreas is back on our show yet again. Uh, the man needs no introduction. However, I do want to mention that his YouTube videos are breaking the six-digit figures every day. So go over to his YouTube, check out his talks. And I did want to plug his upcoming dates for the remainder of the month, uh, November 20th and 21st. He's going to be in Sweden at the Internet Days conference. Then he's going to go over and be a keynote speaker at the Baltic Honey Badger event on November 25th and 26th in Latvia. And then ending the month, he's going to be at the Slush Conference in Helsinki. And uh, be sure to be on the lookout for mastering Ethereum early next year. So he stays busy. Uh, Andreas, you've been on the show three, four times now, and it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me again. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we could just jump into this. Uh, the The crypto community, it's going bonkers right now. And some people are saying, 
you know, hey, it's, you know, stop the madness. Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash are going to coexist and serve different use cases. And then people are saying Bitcoin Cash will not take over Bitcoin. This is the biggest pump and dump in crypto history, you know? So, like, what are your thoughts on this whole build or destroy mentality going on right now, uh, you know, with these current events? Wait, there's, there, there's drama in cryptocurrencies? Just a bit. Just a pinch. <laughs> How did that happen? It's a new oh, thing, no. I know. <laughs> Yeah, it's totally taken well, me off guard. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. Here's my analysis of this. Um, for those of us who have been in this space for five or six years now, this is just a very familiar roller coaster. Uh, nothing much has changed um, other than the fact that every few months we have a surge of new users into the space. And this surge of new users has not seen all of the past and is not to knock against the drama, the personalities, the scams, uh, and the roller coaster ride. And generally speaking, as people come in for the first time, they're usually focused on short term um, and they get spooked easily. So, you know, this, this just happens every uh, more often than every six months. And, uh, you know, yesterday we saw this uh, big surge of drama and a whole bunch of uh, media companies that should know better because they've been in this space and they've been covering this space for a while, wrote a whole new version of Bitcoin uh, obituaries. Uh, you know, now the flippening, this flippening, because the previous flippening didn't happen, so now it's the new flippening, um, is just a variation on the Bitcoin obituary, right? Uh, and they, they love covering these topics from a comfortable angle and um, covering the underlying te technical discussions, covering the, um, the the scaling issues from a from a serious perspective, and 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 what is what choices exist and what pros and cons these choices have. I mean, that takes a lot of work. It takes research. It takes science. It takes all of this reading. Like and and you know, I mean, who who wants to do that? Uh, certainly mm -hmm. not journalists. So instead, it's so much better to just cover this like a horse race uh, or a football game. And, um, you know, Team A is beating Team B. Will this be the last season? Uh, will Team B finally reach the finals? Uh, let's check in with the players. Yeah, you know, there's no I in team. And uh, uh, God willing, we're going to play some good defense. And, uh, and you know, uh, sometimes it's more important to play offense. It's the same crap every time, and, and it's shallow, and it's stupid, and yesterday, we just saw a repeat of that, and it has nothing to do with the technology. It has nothing to do with the fundamentals. The price just plays out this popularity thing, and yeah, I mean, same, same shit, different day. How about, how about this or a speculation? How much of the current price or is propped up by this manipulation of the new influx of people versus the actual underlying utility of these networks. Most of it uh, on, on, well, certainly on both sides of the, of the August fork. Um, yeah. I mean, part of, part of the reason we're seeing so much drama is because we've had this incredible runoff for the last four months. And this incredible runoff is not because 
you know, Bitcoin's fundamentals became six times better, or the underlying technology scaled six times better, or the underlying drama dropped by a factor of six. No, it's 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 pure speculation. And um and as a result, that kind of attitude that brings people easily into the fold and the price goes up very quickly and very easily means that the slightest little hiccup will send it in the opposite direction just as easily. And what we saw over the past four months with Bitcoin was repeated in three days with Bitcoin Cash, with this enormous run of exuberance followed by, you know, a, um, a reconvergence to the mean, I guess. Uh, it's, it's, it's all just speculation. People want to uh, find a way to get rich quick. And they day trade on rumors and then they get burned. Uh, and then they get hysterical when the price reverses on them and start screaming on Twitter for people to take a position in this war of the ages. I'm like, um, not interested in doing that. And the, most of the flack I got yesterday after I tweeted the, you know, all of these forks are going to coexist and let's focus on the fundamentals and stop following the drama. Most of the flack I got was from people who were outraged that I wasn't outraged, panicked that I wasn't panicked, <laughs> and hysterical about my lack of hysteria. Um, and yeah, I'm no, not going to get all hot and bothered over the latest drama. It's really not that interesting. I saw that. They, they were saying that, oh, you're just sitting on the fence on the sidelines just because you weren't you know, up in arms over it. Which is ridiculous. Well, it's not ridiculous. It's their perspective. I, I think at this point, a lot of people feel that this battle is played out on Twitter and um, and Reddit. And, and quite honestly, I'm looking at a, a much more long-term perspective. And that long-term perspective is we're going to have millions of people coming in every month. And um, if things continue going the way they go, uh, 100, 150 million people are going to join the cryptocurrency space in the next two years. Every one of those people needs to understand the fundamentals, understand the principles, learn how to do security, learn how to hold their own keys, how to take responsibility for their funds, uh, what the principles of decentralization are and why they matter. Um, and all of that is a giant process of education. And I'm playing that game. And that game is a long game, it's a slow game, and it requires mm. thoughtful, um, undramatic, careful analysis without uh, dealing about it with ideas, not people, and, um, and avoiding all of the drama, because all of that does is exhaust and discredit. So, you know... Just because I'm not screaming on Twitter doesn't mean I'm not doing anything. What I am doing is I'm looking at that long game. And that long game, in my opinion, is much more important. And just like, and I'm not, of course, the only one doing that, just like most of the developers who are doing serious work, they're not on Twitter screaming at each other. Most of the developers doing serious work are too busy coding the next great set of innovations, um, things like, uh, layer technology for improving the scalability of Lightning Network, uh, which we saw recently at the Scaling Bitcoin conference, or um, Bulletproof, which is uh, a new range-proof uh, capability 
for doing confidential transactions at a fraction of the um, memory footprints, you know, stuff that nobody's paying attention to, except for those of us who are, are interested in seeing where this technology is going. That serious work continues. It continues day and night. Um, where do people find that? Where do people reflective. find that information? Because like that's, I, I, I try and push people to go to where there's credible sources of news or where to go things. Is there any other place other than the actual developer documentation where people can go to learn about the the utility, like what people are actually building and not like broad brain speculation and trade talk? Well, if you are a developer, you should be following the, the discussions, commits and pull requests on GitHub. You should be uh, following the Bitcoin developers mailing list, the BIPs, and also the important technical conferences like the recent Scaling Bitcoin, where we saw some very interesting presentations. Um, but not everyone's a developer. And again, that's what I see as the long game in my role in this space, is I try to understand these things and then turn around and explain them in simple terms and relevant terms to the people who are not developers, so they can see where we're going. You know, I published this, uh, this talk I did in Bali called um, uh, Delivering Liberty at Scale, which is about the challenge with scaling and how the real question is not whether you scale. The real question is how you scale and whether you scale by maintaining the principles of decentralization and liberty or by discarding those principles. Scaling is easy if you decide to discard those principles. And so that positioning video came out just before this whole Bitcoin cash drama and kind of threw me in the middle of the fray, which I tried to avoid. But, you know, the point of that is explaining how these choices, these choices that developers are making, what is the context? What are the trade-offs? What are the compromises that exist? And putting that into a correct perspective. Because otherwise, you know, one side is going, yes, we can scale. No, we can't scale. Um, and that doesn't really examine the question seriously. Do you do you feel like we're anywhere near being able to scale to the point where Bitcoin can handle the amount of adoption that you're you're talking about? We're talking about millions of people, maybe even B two B, like more business to business style transactions. Um, I know last time you were on the show, when I asked you a question that was like this, you said no outright. Do you feel like there's been enough development in the space to where maybe it's a maybe, or I don't know. What do you no. think? No, um, it, it's, it's, I think, first of all, the, the important thing to realize is that we never achieve scale. Um, and the reason we never achieve scale is because every time we achieve one level of scale, that opens up a whole new set of applications that challenge scale again. And then, and then we achieve the next level of scale, and that opens a whole level of applications. Are we scaling enough for today's um, adoption rate? I, I don't think so. I think we're slightly behind the curve. And part of the reason we're slightly behind the curve is because some of the acrimonious debate and, and the decentralized nature of decision-making in the space means that the development has been a bit slowed down. Um, but I'm very confident that uh, with, with, the, um, with SegWit and Lightning Networks and things like that, very, very close to offering a bit of relief, we're going to see the next level of adoption and scale. And then as soon as we do that, we're going to fail to scale again. 
And then we're going to have to look at other ways of optimizing. Um, and as soon as we do that, we, we, we enable a whole new set of applications and scaling becomes a challenge again. Scaling is always a challenge because um, scaling is targeting a moving target. And the moving target is what can you do with this platform? And, and the more you scale, the more you can do, which makes it a challenge again. And we're seeing this on the internet, right? It's like, okay, so now we can scale to the point where we can broadcast Netflix video to millions of people. And, you know, along come all of these companies and go, hey, that's interesting. How about we do VR? Oh, fuck, here we go again. Now we can't scale. Um, <laughs> you know, how about we do 4K? Yeah. You know, and, and every internet engineer out there goes, oh, here we go again. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've been on that scaling ride, understanding the underlying engineering. I've been on that scaling ride since 1991, um, when, when scaling to the point of delivering a 16-color image across the internet was, was amazing. Um, and so this is going to be the same thing with these technologies. We're going to have to accept that scale will be a never-ending challenge. Um, but at the same time, if we um, fail gracefully, but at the same time keep expanding the scale of this platform, uh, then it can really do amazing things. The question is, what do we sacrifice when scaling? And, and hopefully not, uh, not much or not at all. Uh, and that's why this isn't a simple question that has simple answers. And anybody trying to simplify it uh, and presenting it as a black and white question of, you know, these nefarious motives by these shadow corporations that are trying to optimize this to their own business model. You know, everybody's trying to look for short-term profit. Everybody's looking for their own motives. The system is supposed to be resilient to that, and I think it is. Uh, chill out. It's, it's, it's going to happen. How do you feel about, like, the... Develop, like, do you see Bitcoin starting to become more uh, general purpose use as opposed to being mostly used for financial applications with the development of like upcoming developments of like mass and then the like simplified language for taking advantage of it? You know, um, I, I think those technologies are probably a good two years out from even deployment on mainnet. Um, I think there's a lot more to be done in the meantime um, with with the technologies we already have that are that are just on the cusp of finding their way into user-facing applications. You got to realize, you know, from the moment someone writes a paper to the moment a user gets to use this application in their wallet, that's a three to four year timeline. Can you can you um, talk a little bit about some of the things that are that are people can actually look forward to who like want to touch something new when they when they experience cryptocurrencies? Well, I mean, I think a lot of this is is very basic usability and infrastructure stuff, and we're still at the stage where uh, most of the developments are not going to be fascinating; they're going to be boring uh, because the first stage of deploying infrastructure at scale is boring. Um, you know, that's the equivalent of doing last mile internet service providers in the 90s. We needed all of that before we could get to the next stage of the internet. And the same thing applies to cryptocurrencies. 
most of the things that need to be done have to do with wallets, uh, decentralized exchanges or more secure exchanges, um, scalable payment channels like Lightning Network, uh, retail, basic retail applications, um, basic cold storage and security applications. And, and that's not flashy. Uh, that's boring. And the most exciting developments there are when most of the details disappear and users don't have to worry about them. That's how you know it's successful. We're, we're still going to be on that path for the next two to three years, I think. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Uh, we just came back from DevCon. Uh, was that last week, guys? That was last week, right? Or two weeks ago? Week and a half. Yeah, it was two weeks ago. Week and a half. Um, and it just seems like everything is so first first level of this game. There's Everything is really infrastructure-based. There's no pizzazz. It's, um, we're still well, very Defcon, early. Well, DEFCON, you know, Ethereum, Ethereum's DEFCON conference really is, is showcasing some of the applications that are going to happen over the next five years instead of over the next two years. Uh, but again, you know, that's, that's a different time scale. Um, a lot of those applications depend on having broad enough adoption of cryptocurrencies, enough people holding and having secure wallets to be able to get to the next level of applications that involve interactions between multiple uh, multiple people with access to technology or multiple devices, uh, sufficient liquidity, sufficient global spread, sufficient local density of applications. All of those things don't just happen magically. We have to get there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that people are working on those, let's call them next generation applications, not, not as a hype term, but simply because they're not of the current generation of cryptocurrencies. I'm glad people are working on those, but let's not fool ourselves. We're not going to see any of those going into production successfully anytime soon. Well, yeah, could, uh, go ahead, Jello. Well, I, I wanted to touch on that as uh, the, the buzzword that was floating around DevCon was that Ethereum is soon going to have Raiden, which is you know similar to the Lightning Network. Um, but, but you stated that there's going to be, with Ether, there's going to be a scaling problem as well. And I don't know, the way I look at it is, is that cryptocurrencies using the current blockchain designs, they all scale terribly. The only reason yes. why this is so noticeable in Bitcoin and nowhere else is because Bitcoin is the only chain with volume. Um, so I was I was kind of, I saw your recent talk on that, but I didn't know if you went into too much detail on the Ethereum scaling problem and want to know maybe if you can go into that. Oh yeah, sure. Let me collect a whole other busload of haters. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Ethereum already has a scaling problem. Um, and it has already surpassed the transaction volume of Bitcoin because it's being used to pump all of these ICOs. Because of all of this um, transaction volume through the ICO fundraising mania that has uh, happened over the last five, six months. Um, so Ethereum already has more transactions than, than Bitcoin. And as a result, its blockchain has grown dramatically over the last six months. I think if you try to do a full archival, full nodes today, you're looking at three to 400 gigs. Um, can't really tell because most of the Ethereum clients don't do a full archival node. And the reason they don't do that is uh, because it's, it's, it's almost impossible to do an initial sync um, 
with a full blockchain and full validation uh, because of some of the denial of service shenanigans from you know uh, 2016. But um, it's already having this blow up in the amount of data that needs to be stored. And that's before you really have any smart contracts in use. There's only one smart contract in use on Ethereum, and that's ERC-20, the token contract. Um, and it's not a very sophisticated contract. So, you know, if any of these applications that I, are being ICO'd became successful and started using the Ethereum blockchain for even more sophisticated contracts, again, you would have an explosion in the space required to store the blockchain. And as a result, together with the fact that you no longer need to run a full node um, for Ethereum, uh, because there are now lightweight wallets, um, the number of nodes in Ethereum has collapsed. Um, at just exactly as happened with Bitcoin in, in 2013, when you started seeing the first you know, useful, lightweight mobile wallets, and you no longer needed to run Bitcoin Core just to have a wallet and you no longer needed to run a full node just to have a wallet, anybody who didn't really need a full node stopped running one uh, because the disk space became too much of a resource. Okay. Same thing is now happening in, in Ethereum. And so the number of nodes goes down, which reduces the decentralization and robustness of the network, makes it more susceptible to denial of service. Um, and you know that's the, that's the problem. How do you scale without sacrificing decentralization? I guess that's like, it's, it's not, I don't know. I, the way I see it, it maybe is a bit different. I don't, I don't feel like everyone in the network needs to run a full node. You just want to make sure that the people who are validating the network are doing so in a relatively decentralized way, which is vastly yes. more decentralized than traditional infrastructure. Yes, exactly. But the, the, the problem is that the bigger the blockchain gets, the narrower the number of people who can do that. Mm -hmm. um, the resources become very, very significant. And it's not disk storage, which is the problem. In most cases, it's bandwidth caps. Um, so, you know, just, just syncing the, the blockchain initially uh, becomes almost impossible, at, e even in North America, because of bandwidth caps. I can see that. So, so, sorry, go ahead if you... Do you have a thought you were going on? I, I think it's it's very easy to um, bring forth examples of blockchains that have very low fees, um, high decentralization, and no scaling problems. Um, and all of those have no scale. And if you actually look at blockchains that do have scale, they very quickly run into uh, fee inflation and decentralization pressure or centralization pressure and scaling problems. They're all going to follow the same path. There is no magic route that bypasses these hurdles. Uh, these hurdles emerge as you have scale, volume, users, and monetary pressure on the network. And, and the outcomes will be the same. There are no magic bullets here. There are only trade-offs, and those trade-offs, some of them are better for some applications, and some of those trade-offs are better for other applications. The real thing that's being tested here is what trade-offs do we want to make in each of these blockchains? Um, and that really reflects for every person what they think the best application for each of these blockchains is, because depending on what application you want to achieve, you make different trade-offs. 
So, so why did venture into uh, what was your inspiration for writing Mastering Ethereum? Well, uh, so the bad news with that, and I'm going to be writing an article about it soon, is that um, Mastering Ethereum has now been delayed by several months. Um, unfortunately, due to some issues in my personal life and some other delays, it, it's now you know way past its its planned publication date. Uh, I'm working on it, but I'm working on it slower than I had hoped for. And um, some of my work got pushed into the busy conference season and collided with some of the other projects I had to do. So um, it's going to be a bit later, but it's still going to come out. Unfortunately, you know, more things are happening and changing in Ethereum. So I'll, I'll get a chance, hopefully, to write about Metropolis um, rather than Homestead, for example, in terms of the uh, development of the ethereum system uh so you were talking about like nodes and the isn't it requirement for the network to have a lot of nodes doesn't that make the network more robust and is there ever going to be a way to incentivize people to run a node because like I'd, i'd love to run a node but if it just gets more and more expensive and the only incentivation for me to run it is i love this network so much i have t-shirts and coffee mugs and mouse pads like is and there notes. more incentivation than internal motivation yeah someone should make a coffee mug that's also a node um <laughs> keep it hot we'll keep your coffee hot yeah it would <laughs> Um, you know, it, it, it depends, right? There's no, there's no easy answer to this. Uh, yes, more nodes are better, but it's not just a quantity thing. It's also a quality thing. More independent, diversified, decentralized nodes is better. Like if I spin up a thousand instances on Amazon Web Services, that doesn't do anything to the network. Um, all it, it's a civil attack. All it is is um, a lot of fake nodes. Even if they're real and they're validating, you know, propagating blocks and transactions around on Amazon's internal network doesn't do anything for Bitcoin. Now, if you can run a node um, on an independent internet connection that you control and can sustain on your own systems that you physically control uh, that will validate based on the consensus rules that you choose independently for that specific node, and it's geographically diverse in lots of different countries. It's connected to lots of different internet service providers, or the nodes in general are connected to lots of different internet service providers. They're under the jurisdictions of lots of different governments. Um, they're owned by lots of different corporations in different countries and individuals in different countries. Then shutting many or most of them down uh, becomes impossible, right? If you have one company that's running a thousand nodes on a single network, then that's no more resilient than that same company running one node. So numbers is not everything. Um, diversity of nodes is much more important. I'm very excited by um, you know some of the projects that have come out lately. One of them in particular is um, the satellite program that allows, that broadcasts blocks and transactions over satellite channels that can be picked up with a TV dish um, and about $100 of hardware. And you can use that to maintain a node synced anywhere in the world. And that node, if necessary, can not only validate your own transactions, but could jump onto 
a, a land-based internet connection and support the network if uh, if there was an attack. So, you know, that's that makes things a lot harder to shut down. Speaking What's the actual that, use of that? I mean, what can you do with the blockchain if you can only observe it? Well, you can validate um, incoming transactions that you're interested in, and you can also construct transactions with a high degree of certainty that the inputs you're using haven't been double spent, um, or that they have been appropriately confirmed, etc. And then you can take those very, very small transactions and transmit them on any other network. Um, the advantage of that being that you're no longer subject to bandwidth caps. Um, the cost of receiving, which is the, the biggest cost, um, is is significantly reduced. And quite honestly, no one can see you there. I mean, the beauty of that is the sticking a TV-sized dish in the uh, in your backyard or on your roof. Uh, no one can tell what that is or that it's not for TV. So it's completely unobtrusive. So you can run all of these stealth nodes um, that are used to validate transactions. Mm-hmm. Speaking that to that, that uh, like the, the diversity being the more important metric for these types of things, doesn't that make like doesn't that you know seem to incentivize the the push towards creating a more general purpose use case, or is money enough to um, incentivize people to kind of run it for various different reasons? Like you, you seem like you'd want a very broad and diverse community trying to use this particular blockchain for various reasons which would mean you have a very diverse set of desires, use cases, demands, so on and so forth, who are using yeah. it, which is like, which, which kind of spreads that diversity that you speak of. Is money enough to, to give you a, a, a diverse enough set of people to use the blockchain? Yeah, not only is money enough, but it is the second most diverse application you can imagine. The first most diverse application being communication, which drives the internet, and the second most diverse human application is money, which is driving uh, cryptocurrencies. There is no more diverse application. Money is used everywhere. So, uh, (laughs) and and that's why a lot of the second, that's why a lot of the second order um, effects can only happen once we have this, the most diverse application possible, broadly distributed to, to a population. And there's plenty of demand, there's plenty of growth, there's plenty of opportunity just with that one killer app so the killer app is is money there's no I, there's no reason to try and look for a killer app it is like the nature of the system is the killer app absolutely the killer app is money and it's an app that is uh grossly distorted by geopolitics controlled by governments um subjects to fraud and hyperinflation and currency crises um, and that excludes billions of people from participation because of geopolitics. Uh, so it's not only a killer app, but it's a killer app that is very, very much needed in this world in this new and neutral implementation. And it is more than sufficient to get us to where we need to, to, to get. Um, it's more than sufficient to simply change the world with that one application. Now, Within the application of money, there are stages. There's, you know, three different aspects of money, store value, medium of exchange, and units of account. Um, At the moment, these technologies are achieving some of the store value characteristics of money. Uh, Somewhat, but not very effectively, the medium of exchange. We need more scale to do that. Uh, And only finally will we achieve the units of account. 
um, for those three aspects to be delivered by single currency, you need much lower volatility and much broader availability and liquidity. We'll get there. Um, but you know, even for the killer app of money, we're only doing about one third of that in a very limited way right now. It's still early days. That's a good way of looking at it. I think that's that's a reasonable like outlook of where we currently stand, because in order for us to like call it a true money, it has to have all three of those things, which can't happen at, at, in this kind of infant mm-hmm. phase. Like we're tugboat in the ocean, right? The waves are going to move us a lot, but as that boat gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, we're in a relative like size to the amount of money being moved around the world in all forms. Then the boat doesn't rock so much when people try to throw things. Yeah. And more importantly, like you don't get all three in one snap of the finger. And that's the thing that annoys me the most when I see journalists write Bitcoin is it money because it's not all three of these things. And it's like, well, if you're writing about that, you should know that all three of those aspects of money don't happen at once. And, so, and also, there are plenty of valuable things that are not all three of those. Like, you know, gold does very well just being stored value. It's, it's, you know, no one's crying about the fact that gold isn't a very good medium of exchange. It, you can achieve a very high degree of success and adoption, uh, even if you only have one. But I don't think we are only going to have one because this technology does allow us to engineer the properties of money to make it suitable for all three. And also, uh, perhaps one or two novel uses. So, you know, I talk about the three aspects of money, medium of exchange, store value, units of account. But there's a fourth one uh, that is being introduced today, which is universal ledger. Um, We haven't had that before. So universal ledger in terms of being the um, Mm -hmm. shared global um, humankind ledger of fact that is immutable. That is one of the properties of money that didn't exist until cryptocurrencies, but um, is actually already um, having an impact. Hmm. I wonder why no economists are talking about that. They should be talking about that. But anyways. Is anybody there? Yeah, I was just thinking. thinking. Thinking about that. <laughs> oh, okay. Got to take a moment to process that one. Yeah, I was pro- that was – I didn't – I wonder why no one's writing about that or even talking about that. That's like, very interesting. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's another awesome. aspect of money that that doesn't get talking about much, which is like it needs to be the unit for paying back debt. And at, at some point, people are going to start building a lot of the financial instruments that currently exist in traditional systems because this is it's just a more general money. And when it's suitable enough to fulfill the roles required for a money, people are going to build the same system they built in the past that created what we have now. Is that good? Is that bad? Is it like, what, what, what do you, what do you see that going? I, I think people will always try to recreate the past and build the applications they're comfortable with. Um, but you know, those are not the most efficient uses of this new species of programmable money. And so other people will build things with a bit more vision things that are more efficient, things that are novel, things that can't be done with traditional forms of money, and those use cases will prevail. They'll win in the marketplace because they'll do more interesting things than was previously possible, things that were not possible before. I've given some examples of that. You know, Everyone in this space is trying to build a bank, 
right? Everyone in this space is trying to build a VC fund. Um, the, the most obvious things, insurance, real estate, uh, bonds, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but, you know, the really interesting things is when you can actually change things in terms of scale and enable new applications that never existed before. Two of the most radical scale-changing things that I think will occur, um, one is on the scale of value, where you go to nanopayments, not just micropayments, but very, very, very small payments, a billions of a currency unit. And the other one is on the scale of time, when you start doing interactions that are happening, payments that happen on a scale of milliseconds or below, um, that are broadly available to everyone. And once you achieve both of those simultaneously, a new phenomenon emerges, which I have been calling streaming money, which is taking money from a batch process to a continuous flow. And that changes a lot of things. It changes the way you do accounting. It changes the way you run a business. It changes the way you pay people uh, for services and products. And it changes those very services and products. Um, imagine receiving your salary on a per minute basis instead of once a month or once every two weeks. The only reason we do it once every two weeks is because we have to batch the payments because the payment networks are inefficient. Um, but if you were using payment channels, um, you can make payments on a per minute basis. You could then pay your landlord for rent on a per minute basis. Um, you could divert some of that flow uh, to pay for the um, insurance required to get into a self-driving taxi and ensure the three and a half minutes of your ride and just those um, directly with an insurer by directing one small portion of the flow you're receiving from your employer, uh, for example, or your income source and diverting that to paying for insurance or renting a movie or whatever. So when you change the nature of something from batch to streaming, um, it changes the types of applications you run, just like when we went from you know blockbuster batch movie um, to Netflix, it, it didn't just change the way we consume. It also changed the way people produce content. Uh, in fact, it changed the entire industry and who are the middlemen and how do they interact. So, you know, I I, I think we we spend a lot of time looking at how we recreate traditional forms and functions of 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 money. And not enough time thinking about how do we do things that are entirely novel, that have never been done before, that use properties of money that don't currently exist uh, to do things that are not currently possible. Hmm. You always expand my mind, Andreas, every time. I'm very you, glad to hear that. Do you, <laughs> have you found that um, you know, the reception worldwide? is to you and your talks and, and just generally being educated in bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency uh is the is the is, the, is, the, is it is the exception well or people are loving this stuff yeah he's gonna be talking in latvia too and i've never even heard of that country i've been wanting to visit the baltic states for a while now and i'm, I'm really glad that's my first stop and of course, uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of other countries in the area uh, that I'd like to visit too. Um, yeah, Scandinavia and the Baltics have been a, a bit of a gap in my in my tours so far. So I jumped at the opportunity to do that. 
Um, yeah, I mean, the reception around the world is great. Um, I'm not fooling myself into thinking that, you know, it's, it's, it's the talks or the ideas that I'm putting out there uh, that are driving more and more people to Bitcoin. It's the opposite. Um, if you look at any of the statistics, if I look at any of the statistics of my work, whether it's uh, YouTube views, subscriptions, Twitter followers, um, you know, any of the channels that I, I use for my work, uh, books, book sales, book downloads for the free books, um, you can find a 100% correlation to the Bitcoin price. That's it. That's what drives everything. And I don't like that, but that is the reality. Um, price drives enthusiasm. Enthusiasm drives speculation. Speculation drives adoption. And hopefully, that's where I come in, adoption drives learning. Learning drives principles. Principles drive new behaviors. New behaviors make people um, look beyond price and start thinking about this as a world-changing technology. And then they stay. And so that's the that's how we convert and also make sure that as people appreciate the impact this technology can have and they look beyond price, that means that next time the price has a hiccup, it'll go running for the exits because they've seen a different perspective, a more long-term vision, and they understand that. But it's it's not like I'm not delusional enough to think that I'm bringing people into Bitcoin. Um they come to Bitcoin because of excitement about the price. My job is to make them stay because of excitement about the technology. Do you see? Do you see or hope that that will one day shift? Because what the, the outline you just gave, I think, is based on the fact that this technology is so brand new and budding, and the utility isn't there yet. But do you do you hope for, as you put it, an infrastructure shift where the the majority of the people? come to because of the utility it's providing their life and they've realized that Bitcoin is the or, or cryptocurrency or whatever it's called at that point is the underlying process that's enabling that change or will it always be price first? Oh no, eventually it will be utility simply because um, the utility of these systems will so far surpass traditional systems that you really won't have a choice. Um, I mean, Theoretically, you can use a fax machine today, um, but you know, un unless you work for one of the industries where they make you use a fax machine, <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> um, and and you know, I think a, a lot of a lot of people eventually and reluctantly joined the internet because everybody else was on it and they couldn't um, they couldn't do many of the things. Uh, in life that they wanted to do without it. And I think eventually that's going to happen with cryptocurrencies. There will be applications that you will only be able to do on cryptocurrencies. And as those become broader and broader and more interesting and more value is generated through those applications, then eventually not being part of uh, this technology, not having this technology in your life becomes uh, an impediment to your professional ability, an impediment to your social life, an impediment to your position in society. Um, just like any other successful technology, right? You can, you can, if you want, live in a cabin in Montana and go, I have no TV, no electricity, no internet, no phones. Um, and then you'll spend most of your time talking to squirrels. But um, most people um, <laughs> find this kind of progress rewarding 
and it brings prosperity to more and more people and lifts people out of poverty and uh, changes the nature of society. So the, the, eventually, yes, we will see that shift from price-based speculation to, to, to pure utility and then unavoidable fact. Um, but that's going to take a very long time. And in the meantime, um, that requires education, right? Um, requires a lot of right. things. <laughs> and I think we're all happy to be a part of that process, to be honest. I'm in Absolutely. the education camp. Well, that's that's right. just one camp. Of course, it takes a village. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's a whole um, education on its own is useless, right? Uh, in, in order for me to educate people about the new developments of this technology, I have to understand what the developers are doing, actually building the technology. Of course, technology comes first. Um, and, and there's all other aspects. You know, this is a broad space and it takes everybody's contribution and whatever each person has a unique skill in um, to, to move things forward. Okay. Well, we got one last question for you. You've answered it twice before. We're going to see if your answer remains consistent because I know you don't remember the first two, <laughs> but it is. In 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin is a decentralized platform of trust that uh, can be used as a currency and payment network and yet so much more. Because Coming you're at 19. But we're going to let it slide oh, because he gave us an hour. too long. <laughs> <laughs> It's this nothing. Yeah, you see, so uh, listen. If Twitter will give me two hundred and eighty characters, you need to give me nineteen words. We are unflinching <laughs> in our rule set. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm violating consensus. I just doubled the blog yeah. size. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to to chat with you guys again, and thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been it's been fun as always. It's always Absolutely. a pleasure. Thank you. Coming back, and you're more than welcome anytime to come back again. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Andreas Antonopoulos. Uh, Google Andreas Antonopoulos, and you will find everything that he does. Um, prolific speaker, uh, excellent educator, uh, cool dude. Hope you enjoy it. So, yeah, we don't have much to add. Thanks. Unless you guys want to talk about anything. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to, to discuss on today's show? Not particularly. Mm. We have some stuff on here, but it's going to take a while to get into some of them. Yeah, that's true. The docket is large. We can, we can take a poll here. Let's take a poll on one of these, these, uh, these docket questions. Can Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash coexist? That's like yes. one of those, that's like one of those, like, uh, uh, what are those? What's the phrase for getting people to click on your links? Clickbait. Yeah, it's very clickbaity. Anytime you ask a question, it's clickbaity. Is it though? Because people, yeah, it's, it's phrasing it in, in a very pr provocative way. I was once told that asking a question is like is like a, when I was uh, getting my like English minor or whatever, and it's asking a question is. An open question is a guaranteed route to attention. 
doesn't matter what it is. It really doesn't. And I think that holds true in any type of communication, even person to person. Like if you just meet someone, ask them an open question. You now have their attention. Congratulations. You've made a connection. Uh, interpersonal communication 101 with uh, D. That was my that was my go to methodology for dating. Basically, it was just ask, ask questions and listen. Ask an open question and let it ride. And so anyways, like, that's why I ask open questions on a, I could be here. Look at the, my other d- talking point. Are crypto assets demanding the world to notice a new market? Looks like you've been practicing your clickbait. <laughs> uh, all right. So Cello had to dip out. He has, he has family matters to attend to on a beautiful Saturday morning. Uh, then our poll will be probably two-sided here, and there will be no resolution can yeah. Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash coexist? Uh, I think yes. Um, I I would love for it to be yes. I'll tell you why. Are we going to keep going or should I elaborate? Okay, I, I agree with you. I think yes, it can. I'm not sure that it will. But go ahead. Okay. I I, I say yes because... I think while the public is as gloriously ignorant as they are, the narrative could be so that Bitcoin is just that. It is digital gold. It, it It's uh, robust. It's, it's large. Um, it, you tap into it when you need a lot of wealth. If, if you don't, then don't. Um, but Bitcoin Cash is... Very similar to the way we use cash. You want to go, you need, if you need to buy Flaming Hot Cheetos with Bitcoin, use Bitcoin Cash because it's a little bit quicker. Maybe it's more nimble. I think, I think I haven't looked into Bitcoin Cash enough to be saying the things that I just said. I'm pretty sure from the glances that I see around the internet, it's kind of clunky and doesn't work too well at the moment. Why not use something like Litecoin? It's literally almost. I think it's better in all of the metrics, and it's um, it's got more developers. It's more it's more stable. Granted, oh, Bitcoin Cash may eventually get there, but I guess people got airdropped a shitload of Bitcoin Cash if they had a shitload of Bitcoin, so they have that already. But I don't know. What? It's like if you, it, it, with the fork, basically, if you if you forked with Bitcoin in your wallet, you have Bitcoin Cash. So they already have the funds to use that as opposed to Bitcoin. But oh, why true. should people use Bitcoin Cash instead of a, a different altcoin? I don't know. To tell you the truth, I'm with you. Um, I love Litecoin. Hell, Litecoin is how we got started in all this anyways, or a big part of it. We mined it, but um, I think from a branding perspective, people are like, wait, so Bitcoin is this, and then this is other thing called Litecoin? Why not just use my Bitcoin Cash? I mean, it is cash. I think just from a subtle branding perspective, Bitcoin Cash has the the leg up on Litecoin there. Well, you, I think you might be thinking about it because you understand the differences. Someone who's who's coming into the space, like Litecoin has the name Light in it. It was for small purchases. Like that's kind of what we thought when we got into it. We used to call used yeah. to call it silver to Bitcoin's gold a long time ago. Yeah. Still do. It's just everything moves so fast in this space. Um, yeah, it's very true. Litecoin doesn't really do a good job of 
branding itself either, though. I guess we'll see. Like, Time will tell. Of all the people in the last three months that come to me for or having questions about cryptocurrency, the first few questions are about Bitcoin. The next giant bulk of their questions are about Ethereum. Almost zero people ask about Litecoin. And a few people ask about this blockchain thing verbatim. That's that's the phrase that they use. They say, hey, tell me about this blockchain thing. And um, I hate that question. But I would say like 0% of the people are like, hey, what's this Litecoin thing all about? They're just not. Like people just don't care about it. I don't get it. But... Let's wrap it up. Yeah, uh, we have some other talking points, but whatever. So um, you can find us on Twitter at the BTC podcast. Uh, tweet to us. We'll tweet back. Um, we also, Corey's been writing his blogs again. I've got some really old ones on there that are probably funny now. Uh, if you go to medium.com slash the Bitcoin podcast, you can see our blog there. Um, we have a network. And if you're on the network and listening to this, I hope you're sensing the what the hell are you guys doing that's coming out of my voice. <laughs> we got some shows coming up. Block Channel, uh, Buy or Sell with the Hell, the CoinScore podcast. Uh, they'll be dropping soon. Maybe. Let's see. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, let's see. What else? What else do we do? Nothing. Find us on your favorite podcasting app. Subscribe on iTunes. Yeah. Tell everyone you know about us because you loved it that much. Hey, uh, we need to figure out how to make a gas station. Should we get the swarm people on the show? Sure. I know how to make it, but yeah, we can do that. Because I want to have, like I told you, a bunch of small gas stations, and then we get bought out by a giant gas station conglomerate. I don't think it works that way, but um, sure. That's the same thing you told me the first time, but... Why wouldn't? Anyways, uh, <laughs> what else you got? You want to add anything? No, nah, we're golden. I think that's, that's good. You don't want to plug plug errands, plug errands shit. You're looking for some some uh, handmade quality crochet items for Christmas. Aaron's got the goods for you. My wife that's right. should see her up at sweethoneycrochet.com where you can get I think ten or twenty percent off if you purchase with Bitcoin. Dang. And it's uh, it's good stuff. She's awesome. It's like really good stuff, especially for yep. gifts. I bought a hat for my sister. She loves it. Yeah. Um, what else, man? Uh, I think that's that's generally everything. Yeah. All right. Anyways, shout out to Zoe Saldana. Uh, you the best. Um, I don't really have much else to add there. Um. Play the outro.